Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Most of this hour is reserved for more of your phone calls. Programming in, 1-800-849-2761. Joining us now, the guy who has been the authority on a lot of these details regarding the rough start for the Panthers, Cam Newton's injury. Do you know what Liz Frank even means? Kyle Allen's impressive performance in the win at Arizona. Where do the Panthers go from here? Well, we know Cam's sidelined for at least one more game, likely longer. Joe Person for The Athletic Carolina and TheAthletic.com has been all over this situation. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, but before you dive into the Panthers, just RIP to your Philadelphia Phillies. I think they will officially be eliminated this afternoon in Washington. See, now, I've liked you for so long, Joe. Is that like an old friend punching me in the ribs, or is that just a, for, for, uh, for news purposes only you want to share with our statewide audience that the Phillies have been officially eliminated? No, that's you and I commiserating <laughs> as lifelong Phillies uh, who have a lifetime of misery, mostly misery, and, and, and some, uh, some jubilee. Very well put. Definitely a crash-and-burn type season after a lot of optimism following the Bryce Harper signing. What is going on with Cam Newton's foot, and have you yet attained a medical degree as you try to uh, decipher the details? Man, I, I appreciate you asking that. I I, I kind of just fake the medical stuff and leave it to the experts to kind of guide me straight. And there, and frankly, there has not been a lot of information forthcoming from the Panthers, and and we haven't had Cam Newton in front of us since that Thursday night against Tampa Bay. So it, a lot of this has been pieced together. Uh, I think initially, uh, it sure felt like. I, I, I don't know if there was confusion on the Panthers' part or Cam's part. Probably more likely some discrepancy as for the as far as the severity of this midfoot sprain. That is what the Panthers called it initially, and and in fact, the Liz Franck is a midfoot sprain. Uh, there can be other types of midfoot sprains, but it sounds like everything I've been told this is a Liz Franck. There are a couple different degrees of severity uh, for, for these injuries. Ryan Khalil uh, several years ago had the worst uh, kind of Liz Frank, Liz Frank, and he had season-ending surgery. As do, by the way, most players who get this. It's a, I'm sure you know, you've Googled it by now, or you, you probably already knew it, but a, a rupture of, of the tendons or ligaments in the midfoot sometimes can involve some bone spurs and bone fragments, usually ligaments. And usually it does require surgery, but not all the time. And the Panthers are hoping that this is the case, that they can avoid that with Cam Newton. Give him a rest here. Let Kyle Allen roll for a little while and see if they can't get Cam back later in the season. Taking a step back to the even bigger kind of macro picture, with Cam being owed more than $20 million this year and more than $20 million next year, put us in the shoes of David Tepper, the owner. How and when does he have to make a decision about Cam Newton's role in the future of this franchise? Yeah, it's such a such a thorny issue from, from so many different angles and layers. The Tepper and the Cam angle and then the Ron Rivera part is a horny futures. But as far as Cam goes, I mean, I think if I'm David Tepper, I'd want to see him uh, before I'm going to invest any more money in him. 
And, uh, you know, that, and, and if I'm Cam Newton, I want you to see me and I want the other 31 teams to see me when I'm healthy. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to go out there as damaged goods if this in fact could be Cam Newton's last year with the Panthers or if he is playing for his next contract, be it in Carolina or elsewhere. You don't want to go have another performance like Thursday night, a couple Thursdays ago against Tampa Bay, when you couldn't step into the, with your left hand, but you couldn't step in your throws uh, after about halfway through the second quarter when he appeared to get hurt. And so, it, yeah, David Pepper's got to see, you know, what, what exactly, what is fine. Doesn't want to buy damaged goods. Cam Newton doesn't want to go out there and be damaged goods for to drive down his market. So where does that lead us in a, in a couple weeks or a month from now? I don't know. I mean, it, it, a lot's going to depend on how Cam's foot is feeling. It's it principally going to depend on how Cam's foot is feeling. And then just how ready and willing he is to go out there and play. I mean, we've seen Cam his whole career play hurt. That guy, and he's not alone. The guy's playing the NFL all the time. Uh, I think he reached a point with this injury where he didn't want to do I mean, we saw it the first two weeks. He wasn't running the football. He, he, the second game, he couldn't pass it very well at, at all at, with accuracy. And so they shut it down. He shut it down. And where it goes from here, man, your guess is as good as mine. Joe Person is joining us. He is writing for the fastest growing and incredibly successful sports website that I have seen here in the 21st century. It's called theathletic.com. Joe writes for the subsite, as do I, The Athletic Carolina. Joe does it all day, every day on the NFL and the Panthers. I do, I do so occasionally as a contributor from afar. The Kyle Allen part of this story, since uh, we're not sure when Cam is coming back, you're a former football player, Joe. You've probably heard coaches talk about hidden yardage, right? So many people were obsessed with Cam Newton's completion percentage that sometimes I wondered how often coaches would talk about hidden yardage, where you know the deal. Uh, the screen, the guy who's open in the flat, if you hit him in stride, it could be 20 yards. If you make him pause or come back to the ball, you know, it's only a three-yard gain. It seemed like Kyle Allen's accuracy – allowed the Panthers to gobble up what might have been hidden yards. Uh, and that D.J. Moore touchdown, I mean, w was classic, you know, bull's eye from the pocket quarterbacking from the 23-year-old. What did you make of what he did do? And uh, what do you caution Panthers fans who are, you know, <laughs> ready to turn the page and accept the Kyle Allen chapter of Panthers history? Dave, spot on in terms of his accuracy. I mean, he was putting I'm, – I'm about halfway through the game now doing a film review for the Athletic on Kyle Allen's day. And he was spot on. I mean, he was putting that ball in small windows. Yeah. And the D.J. Moore – I just watched the D.J. Moore play. Yes, um, he had Jarius Wright and Curtis Samuel trying to clear out the field. There was still a lot of – there were still a lot of Arizona Cardinals defenders kind of lurking in that area of the field where um, where D.J. Moore did a deep in route, deep dig route. Yeah. And, and Kyle Allen stuck it right in his belly where D.J. Moore never broke stride. And when you're as fast as D.J. Moore, that's a good thing. And, and you're right. If he has to slow down a little, if he has to reach back for the ball, if he has to reach up for the ball, down, down for – he's not 
scoring a 52-yard touchdown. They, they may get a field goal at the right. end of the half, but they are not scoring on that play. And that and, and there were a lot of plays like that. Uh, I, just, I think several of us were struck at the end of the game. Greg Olson in the locker room is talking about Kyle Allen's day. And he says, you know, each of the four touchdowns were really different. And you're like, wow, like when is the last time that sentence has been uttered in the Panthers' right. locker room? It's been a while. And as as for a cautionary word, Cardinals defense stinks. Yeah. Um, and and I don't want to keep sticking too many caveats next to Kyle Allen's performance, however, because a lot of people did that with the Saints game last year. Oh, they were resting their stars. They were resting their offensive stars. The defensive stars played the first half of Week 17 last year. It was not the same Superdome atmosphere. I get it. But now it's like, okay, yeah, he beat the Cardinals, but the Cardinals stink defensively. They do. And and so if 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 you're a glass half empty kind of person, then I guess you say, boy, wait till he faces that Houston Texans defense and JJ Watt because the Texans are salty. They're pass crash and nasty. And uh, you know, but how's Kyle Long gonna do? I think Norv Turner and Scott Turner are gonna give him a good plan. You know, there were a lot of the ball was coming out of his hand quickly at Arizona, a lot of play action stuff. I would think some of that would be on, you know, uh, appropriate again to slow down that Texans pass rush. And then you take your chances. I mean, you know, I think you got to give him a shot and believe in him until he, he shows you otherwise. Just for fun and not to create unrealistic expectations for undrafted free agent Kyle Allen. We've been kicking around, you know, the Kurt Warner undrafted free agent story, the Warren Moon, Tony Romo, Jake DeLome, of course, uh, Jeff Garcia, Dave Craig. Uh, I know you know all of those names. Kyle Allen is not only an undrafted free agent. This is a guy who lost the starting job at both Texas A&M and Houston at the college level. And you want to talk about an unconventional turning pro early, you know, leap to the NFL only to go undrafted. This is about as weird as it gets. How far into, you know, I want to be the next Johnny Manziel under Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M or uh, he ended up complaining about the culture there. Uh, too many guys trying to be, go their own way, Johnny Manziel. How, how th- does Kyle Allen talk about those things, and how else has he struck you? And and even who in the Panthers first fell in love with this guy, who at least for one week looks like he belongs as an NFL starter? Yeah, great questions. A couple of things. I, I was, was able to spend a little time with Kyle Allen in Phoenix, uh, back at the end of the March, at, at the end of March, the NFL owner meetings were wrapping up out there. He happened to be there. He was gracious enough to spend some time with me. I did a story for the Athletic, and the only thing, I mean, he played prep football at the very highest level. Yes, you know that. Yeah. Was, I mean, and and we, look, there have been a lot of guys like that that pan out, but but there at least was that seed of big-time football, elite 11 camps, on and on. The other point I would make that you asked about, Kevin Sumlin, I mean, he didn't just let Kyle Allen get out of his program. He let Kyler, Skyler, Mur- Kyler Murray right. get out of his program. I mean, within like a couple months of each other. And and so I don't – there was something funky going on there. Uh, Kyle Allen did talk about, um, as you said, mentioning the kind of the just a little unrest in that program. I didn't love the culture. 
when I have tried to follow up with him on that, he has taken the high road. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I'm, I'm also curious about what happened in Houston because, and, and it was, again, it was a coaching situation where Tom Herman was there and then Tom Herman left for Texas and major Applewhite comes in. So that always gets funky, but it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, a rags to riches, to, kind of a riches to rags to riches story, if you will. And uh, how long it'll go, I don't know. But, you know, it, it was good for the Panthers. Look, I mean, this thing was going downhill fast. And to at least get it a one-week shot in the arm to feel good in that locker room, you know, good for Kyle Allen. Last thing for you as the Panthers head to Houston to take on Deshaun Watson and the Texans. I don't know if you agree with this summary, but – if I divide the NFL into like quadrants with the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Rams, the Cowboys, and and you know four others in the top, and then the teams that are hard to envision anything good, like the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Bengals, the Steelers, and some others, like a top eight and a bottom eight, would you say that both the Panthers and the Texans would be in sort of the middle sixteen? And and what else do you make of the challenge that awaits them? at Houston as they try to go back-to-back road wins with Kyle Allen at the controls? Yeah, I would probably put the Texans at the lower end of the top quadrant okay. just because of Deshaun Watson and a pretty good defense and a pretty good coach. Okay. So, you know, they, they've always seemed to be that team that loses in the first round of the playoffs, and but but whatever. You, you're it, Bottom of that quadrant or, or – or, or top Maybe top 10 one. versus middle 10, Texans top 10, Panthers middle 10 kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. And here's, what, and, and here's the thing about – here's what keeps the Panthers from being just – and this is tricky too. Like, I mean, you know, you put a guy in there last week and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to be – before you, you snap out of it, they're going to be 0-4 and heading for like a top five draft pick. But their defense – and Ron Rivera as a coach – you know, I don't know that they're they're going to be that bad. They sure they sure haven't shown it defensively. I mean, they got one of the top defenses in the league through three years, uh, and and so even with Kyle Allen, even with a less than hundred percent Cam Newton, they almost beat you know the Rams in Week One. So yeah, definitely the Panthers are in that middle quadrant and uh, middle section, and you know I don't know, and and that's not a great place to live. Because no. that's where they were last year, and if if you are thinking about drafting a quarterback sometime soon, then you're not going to want to you're not going to be taking one in the top ten. His name is Joe Person. Find his work at theathletic.com and the Athletic Carolina. Follow him on Twitter at Joseph Person. Thanks for the Major League Baseball tidbit, and as always, keep up the great work on the NFL. And just for the record, they have not been eliminated yet, but it looks like they're <laughs> yeah. in that way. Go Phillies. I have prepared myself for such things long ago. <laughs> great great work, my friend. Great to hear your voice. Keep it up. See you, buddy. You got it. Joe Person of The Athletic Carolina, 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. There has been some Julie Andrews-style getting to know you with Kyle Allen and other undrafted free agent quarterbacks today. More on the NFL, more on college football. If you didn't like college football players skipping bowl games to protect their bodies or their NFL draft status in recent years, you definitely are not going to like this. A senior quarterback who is an NFL prospect is taking advantage of a new NCAA rule 
that was really designed to let young guys get playoff playing time without burning a year of eligibility. Now that his Houston Cougars are off to a disappointing one and three start, star quarterback Derek King is pulling the plug on his season entirely because the new NCAA rule says if he stops playing now, he retains this year of eligibility and can use it again instead next season, either at Houston, which is what the school's official statement said, or at a different school as a grad transfer, which is what his dad implied. More on this crazy story with your phone calls. Duke, Carolina, and in a really bad way, the Kansas Jayhawks are in the college basketball headlines. College football offers us some tasty treats this weekend, starting on Friday night with an ACC-related flavor throughout the weekend. And the NFL offers an ugly bottom tier. Dolphins, Cardinals, Bengals, Steelers, Washington, Oakland, Denver, the Jets, and maybe even one or two more. And a pretty amazing-looking top tier. But I really think the Panthers look like a team that, pending what they continue to get a quarterback, really belong right dab in the middle where it's still unpredictable whether they'll rise toward the top or fall by the wayside. More of my thoughts with more of yours. 1-800-849-2761. Antonio Brown, back to school at Central Michigan. Is it his history class, or is that the late great comedian talking to Thornton Mellon in the, in the movie from my high school or college years? You can be the judge as we take your calls, 1-800-849-2761. We also have a trade in the NHL. Would this be like me asking Gary, Pe Gary Bettman to step to the podium and say we have a trade, only it's not draft night? It's a biggie. Those details with your calls next. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop. After this, yeah, maybe join you on the radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. The breaking news from the NHL that I promised. Your phone calls on college football, the NFL, and the other headlines of the day. Kansas in the college basketball headlines for the wrong reasons. Bill Self facing charges from the NCAA. Kansas dealing with, among other things, a lack of institutional control charge. Closer to home, Coach K and the Blue Devils met with the media yesterday. Roy Williams and the Tar Heels have late night with Roy their annual preseason tip-off event. That's Friday night. Good news locally, scary news elsewhere in college hoops as that season nears. Speaking of seasons nearing, the Carolina Hurricanes open the regular season a week from this Thursday. I will be there. We'll actually be bringing you the David Glenn Show live from PNC Arena prior to the Canes hosting the Montreal Canadiens as they try to follow up on last year's playoff breakthrough under what was then the first-year head coach, Rod Brendamore, in the first full year under the new owner, Tom Dundon. So a lot of new excitement around the Hurricanes, even as the Hornets have become irrelevant by NBA standards, and the Panthers are doing this weird dance where you're not sure which way this 2019 season is going to fall for Ron Rivera and company. Justin Falk, veteran defenseman, has seemingly been on the trade block for a long, long time. The why of that is in part Justin Falk, remember, 27 years old. He's been an all-star. He doesn't always play at that level. He's done far more good than bad in a Hurricanes uniform. 
Let me give you the news and then I'll backtrack. Justin Falk, as expected, has been traded. They had a deal with a different team, but Justin Falk, as a veteran, has a no-trade clause. He can prevent being dealt to certain squads. He accepted a deal to the St. Louis Blues today. So the former NHL All-Star, also a U.S. Olympian, 27-year-old Justin Falk, heading into the final year of his deal with the Canes, and that is important, is shipped to last year's Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues. In return, the Canes get a big penalty-killing physical defenseman named Joel Edmondson, and then a young prospect, he's only 19 years old, Dominic Bach, of Sweden, I believe. There's also a couple of draft picks involved, but here's the bottom line. Justin Falk, because he's been a first-pairing defenseman at times in his career, views himself in that light, and he is scheduled to make, or was scheduled to make, about $5 million, I think it was, this past year, maybe almost $5 million, and yet, because of the Canes' depth on defense, he really was viewed as maybe a third-line defender. So you have a guy going into his contract year saying, I'm all already making $5 million. I'm 27 years old. This next deal is going to have to be my big one. I think I deserve even more than that. I view myself as an elite NFL NHL defenseman. And yet the Hurricanes are looking at their depth chart saying, well, wait a minute, Jacob Slavin – might be our best defenseman. He's got a deal for $5 million plus. Dougie Hamilton is one of the better offensive defensemen in the NHL. He has a deal with Carolina for, I think it's almost $6 million. And the Canes view those two as their number one defensive pairing. So again, you see the collision here. Fox coming up on a contract detour a year from now. If he played out this year with the Canes and then they couldn't see eye to eye, well, then Justin Falk could leave for nothing. If Falk sees himself as, you know, the $7 million man and the Canes are paying Hamilton $6 million, Slavin $5-something million, and they only view Justin as a second- or third-line defenseman, they're not going to be the ones under Tom Dundon the way he scrutinizes numbers and value and efficiency and the analytics and all the rest. They weren't going to be the team to give Justin Falk that – seven million a year that he was looking for sure enough the st louis blues have signed him to a seven-year contract extension that will pay him an average of six and a half million a year so in the early years he'd probably be closer to six in the later years he'll be that seven million a year defenseman the canes simply don't see him that way and tom dundon as the owner of a smaller market team believes that he and his staff have to be masters of the salary cap, right? As he has told us on our show, he's not afraid to spend more money, but it, there has to be value with that. So when the Montreal Canadiens tried to push the Canes around, remember the offer sheet to the best young player in the organization, Sebastian Ajo. Ajo got an $11 million signing bonus. Tom Dundon wasn't going to let the smaller market Canes be pushed around by the big market Canadians. Wasn't going to let it happen. Because Ajo is that good, Ajo can justify big numbers, and Ajo got an $11 million signing bonus. That must not be a fun check to write. You know, the whole, the whole salary, uh, what is the entire team makes like 80 million, 70-some million dollars. So that's a big check to write. Tom Dundon wrote it. 
Ajo's going to make $8 million plus a year. Jordan Stahl, veteran center, makes $6 million a year. Dougie Hamilton, almost six. Tavo Teravainen and Jacob Slavin, $5 million plus. Nino Niederreiter, the guy that they stole last year from Minnesota, sending Victor Rask out of town in a great deal for the Canes. He makes $5 million plus. And then Justin Falk was among the other highest-paid players on the Canes. Well-managed organizations... If they believe a year from now they won't be able to see eye-to-eye, not even a year from now, at the end of the upcoming season, if they believe Justin Falk is a flight risk where he'll get his $7 million a year somewhere else and they can't justify paying it here, well, then they needed to make a deal sooner. They could have waited until the trade deadline and maybe gotten more in return. They get a prospect. They get a defenseman who's a big dude and a tough dude, and again, he kills penalties. But he is nowhere near the skill level of a Justin Falk, who is more offensive-minded, a little bit more like Dougie Hamilton. For those who have forgotten, what does the depth chart look like? Darren, are you ready to sit in my on-the-glass front-row seats? Do you already have your mental picture of the Canes? Or is that you saving I'm, that I'm for work, next week? I'm working on it. I went to the preseason home opener to get an early oh, jump. Oh, you did? Yeah, so uh, we're getting there. Okay. We're getting there. You can picture returnees Slavin and Hamilton as your number one defensive pairing. Of course. And, of course, these are not written in blood. You can always you know, rotate dudes and change pairings. But they got Jake Gardner as a free agent, a quality veteran player from the Maple Leafs, and he may be paired, for example, with Brett Pesci, another guy they value. The Canes' metrics suggest that their four best defensemen are those four guys. So Justin Fox saying, wait a minute, what about me? I've been an all-star. I've been an assistant captain on this team, right? He was an alternate captain last year. Remember, they were co-captains, Jordan Stahl and he, the year before. That was a debacle. But clearly, he's done some great things for this organization. When, when the player views himself as a first-line type defenseman and the organization views him as maybe a third-line, second at best, things aren't going to work out for the longer haul. So you get what you can get. He gets a fresh start and a big deal. Average value, $6.5 million. Falk has found his new team in the St. Louis Blues. The Canes get a defenseman that I, it would be hard to argue he's as good as Justin Falk, but he's a candidate for the third line. So Hayden Fleury is on a candidate for the third defensive pairing. Uh, remember, Trevor Van Riemsdyk has been hurt, but he's, when healthy, a candidate there. There are others. You know Peter Mrazek is back as the starting goalie. Played golf with him recently. I love that. Love that he's back. Good golfer, great goalie. And that's important. I'd like it to stay that way. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to flip that. Save that for retirement, Mrazek. Good golfer, great goalie. Keep it that way. James Reimer is the new backup. And then up front, you've got Ajo. And the, again, the lines are going to move all over the place. But how does an, an Ajo need a writer and then newcomer Ryan Zingle? That sounds pretty good to me. All right. How about a second line of Turbo, Tavo Teravainen, with the veteran hulking presence and brilliant defenseman, Jordan's defender, I should say, up front, Jordan Stahl with with the blooming youngster from Russia, Andre Svechnikov. I as like your that as a line. second line. A That's lot. a whopper of a second line. And again, they can change. Marty Natchez started with the parent club last year, demoted for a variety of reasons. He just wasn't ready. But there's no doubt about his offensive skill. They need him to be ready this year, maybe as a third line sniper type guy, maybe with Eric Halla from Vegas, another newcomer. Remember, Fogues is back, Warren Fogel, energy guy. Oh, yeah. That could be a third line. And then Martin Hook is back. Brock McGinn is back. 
Lucas Walmark is at least eligible to be back. Who knows if everybody makes the opening day roster that I just mentioned. But that's a nice roster that I just described there. No more Justin Falk, though. We wish him well. I think he gave us far more good than bad. And seriously, don't judge the trade purely by is the Canes' new defenseman better than Justin Falk? He's not. You have to judge it by the Canes managing their salary cap, the Canes making sure they don't lose an asset at the end of the upcoming season for nothing. It's still hard to digest for those who have enjoyed Justin Falk. I've enjoyed talking to him, a guest on this show, uh, out on the golf course at the charity events and all the rest. He's a first-class guy. I wish him well in St. Louis with the defending Stanley Cup champions. It's just more complicated nowadays than who got the better player in the deal. There are draft picks involved. There's a prospect involved that I'll have to ask our friends, you know, Mike Maniscalco, John Forslund, Trip Tracy, about the 19-year-old from Sweden they're getting. I have no idea. I, I used to be into baseball America-style minor league prospects in that sport. I haven't quite gotten that deep into the hockey America-style prospects at the 17, 18, and 19-year-old level, unless it's an Andrei Svechnikov, a fir- high first-round draft pick, who seriously has a chance this year to be one of the Canes' best players. And in fact, if the Canes are going to have another great season, frankly, they need him to be one of their best players because there's a lot of good players. There are only a handful of truly elite candidates. Aho is one. Tara Vinen sometimes looks like one. And the up-and-coming youngster, Svechnikov, to me, has superstar written all over him. It is only a matter of time. You okay with that defense? With no more Falk, Slavin, Hamilton. Game's on the line, right? First two, ro- first two pairings you're sending out there are still Slavin and Hamilton, Gardner and Pesci. I've heard good things about Gardner. Yeah. Admittedly, don't know much about him. but Good, good player. Assuming what I've heard, then, yeah, no, I feel pretty good about that. In all seriousness, people I respect around the NHL said prior to today's tradeaway of Justin Falk to the Blues, the Canes had the best and deepest defensive core in the entire NHL. And you just knew that even if they started the season with Justin Falk, by the trade deadline, he was, he was not still going to be right. wearing a Canes uniform unless he dramatically upped his play or he dramatically reduced his money demands. And if the Blues are offering you an average value of near $7 million, I don't blame him for taking that trade. We wish him well on his way out of town. Back to football on the other side, 1-800-849-2761. App State coach Eli Drinkwitz in the books. Joe Person on all things NFL in the books. More on the Derek King story. He's taking advantage of a new NCAA rule. This guy broke Tim Tebow's record for most consecutive games by a quarterback throwing for at least one TD and rushing for at least one TD. Same dude last year set the American Athletic Conference record by being responsible for 50 total touchdowns. I mean, the AAC is not the oldest league in the world, but still, Derek King of the Houston Cougars, Cougars holds that record. That's the guy who just... Stepped away from his team after it started a disappointing one and three. If you didn't like college football players skipping their bowl games to protect their bodies or their NFL draft status, you are definitely not going to like this story. More on that story with more of your calls. We're celebrating Kyle Allen with recollections of the other greatest 
the other. The greatest undrafted free agents <laughs> ever to play quarterback in the NFL. Kyle Allen does not deserve that logo just yet. But Hall of Famers Kurt Warner and Warren Moon entered the NFL as undrafted free agents after time in other leagues. Tony Romo did it. Jake DeLome did it. Jeff Garcia did it. Dave Craig did it. These are all either elite or very good for a long time former NFL quarterbacks. What do the Panthers have in Kyle Allen? We don't know, and nobody really knows, and we won't for a while longer. But it's fun to think about, isn't it? So you're saying there's a chance, Kyle Allen. More on those stories with more of your calls. College basketball, college football, the NFL, 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on the David Glenn Show. Davo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man. are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. you. I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80. <laughs> Eight zero. The original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. A crazy story, the first of its kind in college football. Even if your initial instinct is this young person is being selfish at the expense of his team. This is all about me and not enough about we. I won't ask you to change your mind. I'll ask you to follow your instincts, but at least listen to more of the details before you bury this young man. If you didn't like college football players skipping bowl games to protect their bodies or their NFL draft status, which went from a trickle, Leonard Fournette of LSU, and then one of our favorites, Christian McCaffrey of Stanford, knew he was going to be a high pick, bailed on his team at that bowl game. It was not a college football playoff game, but especially Fournette took a lot of criticism for not suiting up one more time for the Tigers. Both of those guys running backs, they were protecting their bodies. They were also told that they were viewed as high NFL draft picks. So, yeah, you're protecting yourself physically, but you're also protecting the mega millions that in the eyes of their defenders, they've earned by being brilliant college football players at LSU and Stanford. Still, some criticism came from some corners. It's all about me and not enough about we. You're bailing on your Stanford teammates. You're bailing on your LSU teammates. And those guys, as a trickle, obviously have led to a lot more examples. College football players that you've never even heard of have said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to play in my bowl game this year to protect, you know, my fifth-round draft status. That's how much it's gone from a trickle to something closer to a true flood. Well, we have a new trailblazer on a different matter. His name is Derek King. He is an NFL prospect and now a senior quarterback with the Houston Cougars. He announced late yesterday that he's going to take advantage of a new NCAA rule, mostly designed to allow young people to get some playing time without losing a full year of eligibility. Coaches were saying, we need more dudes, and if we just throw a guy in there for a game or two games, we're burning a whole year of his eligibility. That's not fair to him. What if he's relatively new to campus and he wasn't ready to play in September, but we get injuries and he's ready to play by November? It's unfair to everybody involved if I can't use that guy. If I use him, I'm burning his eligibility. If I don't use him, I'm asking guys to overextend themselves physically because I don't have enough backups. If I have 100 dudes and I'm red shirt and 20, now I'm down to 80. And if 12 of them are hurt, I'm down even more, et cetera. You know the rest of that story. So this rule adopted last year 
to allow you to play in football up to four games without using or burning that year of eligibility was designed really with those circumstances in mind, but it's a senior taking advantage of it in a new way. Derek King, senior starting quarterback for the Houston Cougars, NFL prospect, the guy who broke Tim Tebow's record by throwing and rushing for a touchdown in 15 consecutive games. Derek King broke Tim Tebow's record. That gives you an idea of where he is on the national radar. He is viewed as a potential high NFL draft pick. His team started one and three. His team has a new head coach. Remember Dana Holgerson, very unusual. You don't see Big 12 coaches leave for non-Power 5 teams very often. That happened. Dana Holgerson, offensive guru, left the Mountaineers, took the Houston job, which is a growing, wealthy university that has sights on someday being in a Power 5 league. So they put down the bucks for Dana Holgerson. But he's stepping into a situation where they had to fire the last guy. So Holgerson does not have the engine hitting on all cylinders in his first year there. It's more like Mac Brown has some good players, but some major holes, right? So there's going to be up times. There's going to be down times. He's a first-year coach, not like Eli Drinkwitz, who inherited that winning culture he described earlier today from the departed Scott Satterfield. When your predecessor got promoted up the ladder, that means he often left you something good. When your predecessor got fired... That usually means he left you something trickier or even bad. Larry Fedora before Mac Brown. Dana Holgerson stepping in at Houston. So out of the gate, Derek King is putting up okay numbers with Houston, but the Cougars are 1-3. Now, I looked it up just because I was curious. Their losses are to Oklahoma, Washington State, and Tulane, which have, I think are all pretty good football teams, but still they're 1-3. And, and then somebody whispers to Derek King, hey, man, there was this rule created last year where because you haven't played in a fifth game yet, if you pull the plug on your senior season right now, you could come back next year as a fifth-year senior or because you could get your diploma between now and then, you could even transfer to another university and play your final season there. And then his wheels get turning, and then his dad gets involved. And his dad said these things, and this is what I would ask you to consider. If you were Derek King's dad or brother, or mentor, or mom, or grandmom, or whatever. Are you bailing on your team in a sport where that locker room culture is all about the brotherhood and unselfishness and putting your face in the fan for your fellow teammates? Are you understandably being selfish because you have a mega million dollar career potentially at stake? Or are you pulling the plug and bailing on your teammates so they can suffer through a difficult start at one and three that might become a truly miserable 12 game campaign without you, the star quarterback. What the dad said was interesting because on the one hand, he said, sometimes you got to be a little bit selfish and take care of you in life. And a lot of people of course are portraying that as the me culture. It's there's no I in team except here. But he also said, you know what? My son played injured earlier in his career at Houston. That was unselfish. My son was a return man prior to becoming a star quarterback. That was unselfish. My son was willing to play on all three phases, defense, special teams, and offense. What future NFL quarterback volunteered to do that? That's unselfish. My son has gone through three head coaches and hasn't transferred. That's unselfish in a transfer-crazy environment that we've seen in college sports. My son is on his fourth offensive coordinator and has a transferred out of Houston. That's unselfish. 
I think he's making a lot of good points there about Derek King's decisions leading to this point. It still rubs a lot of people the wrong way when you are bailing on your teammates and when dad does say sometimes you got to be a little bit selfish and take care of you in this case with truly millions of dollars at stake in the longer run it was interesting to note that whereas the school statement the university statement specified Derek King will stop playing this year retain the eligibility under the new rule and return to Houston next year as a fifth year senior that's what the university release said what did dad say to the media? Oh, yeah, we're considering staying at Houston, but we are considering our other options as well. Side note, do you know who circled Derek King as one of the five best quarterbacks in college football this year? Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley, who has sent Kyler Murray to the next level, just signed Jalen Hurts of Alabama for a sensational season and will move into the next level. I wonder if Derek King maybe pulling the plug on this season really for another year, a reboot under Dana Hogerson at Houston with the same old teammates, most of them, or maybe he has a different landing place in mind. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Throwback Justice League. You know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Aquaman. If there was a combine event where you had to talk to marine life, Aquaman is your guy. Zay Jones is dominating the three-cone drill. Aquaman is dominating the talk-to-porpoises drill. This is the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the Thanks to Eli Drinkwitz of App State, Joe Person of The Athletic, Dabo Sweeney of Clemson yesterday, Dave Doran and David Cutcliffe, among others, from college football later this week. TV picks, Indians, White Sox, little... Coming down the stretch, Major League Baseball with playoff repercussions, WNBA, preseason hockey, and more. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.